Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers. And most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Hi, I'm Josh Gailey, and you're listening to Gospel Tangents. It's the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology, and first daily Mormon history podcast. I'm Rick Bennett. I'm excited to have Josh Gailey on the show. He's not only a, uh, an evangelist for the Church of Jesus Christ, but he's written an amazing book, Witnessing Miracles, Historical Evidence for the Resurrection and the Book of Mormon. So we're going to talk about this book, and we're going to talk about the Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, in this first segment, we're going to talk about Sidney Rigdon's role in establishing the Church of Jesus Christ, based in Monongahela, Pennsylvania. You may have heard of them as called the Bickertonites before, and uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that and more about his book. So you won't want to miss this conversation. Check it out. Welcome to Gospel Tangents. I'm excited to have a second member of the Church of Jesus Christ, based in Monongahela, Pennsylvania. Sometimes we call them the Bickertonites. Could you go ahead and tell us who you are and what you're calling in your churches? Hi, everybody. My name's Josh Gailey, and I'm an ordained evangelist in the Church of Jesus Christ. All right. Well, that's exciting. Um, Daniel Stone was my previous member of your church, wrote a book about William Bickerton. And uh, so I will encourage you guys to check that out. Uh, He's a historian. Josh is not, but he's written an amazing book, um, Witnessing Miracles, Historical Evidence for the Resurrection and, and the Book of Mormon. And so one of the interesting things, and I did warn Josh I was going to uh, ask him about this, I think it's the only book about the Book of Mormon that quoted Hugh Hefner. <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, it was a fantastic book, and uh, why, why would you put Hugh Hefner in a book about the Book of Mormon? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hugh, Hugh should have read the Book of Mormon a little bit better. Maybe it would have helped him in the end. <laughs> but I would just say, you know— my passion for this started, this is obviously the whole book is in the title there, right? We're comparing the two greatest miracles from all of human history, mm-hmm. the coming forth of the Book of Mormon and overlaying that with the historical evidence for the resurrection of Christ. And to say, and that ties to Hugh Hefner, because there was a time when Hugh was being interviewed on, of all things, that exact topic. And he basically said, well, I would, I hope it's true. I would hope it's true. Because if Christ really rose from the dead, that would open up a marvelous set of possibilities. 
but he was implying in that interview that there wasn't any actual evidence. And I read that in context from a book. I believe the interview at that time was Lee Strobel. Okay. And he's a researcher on the resurrection. And Lee was basically using that interview that he did to demonstrate that Hugh, while he had all this ability to look at the evidence that had already been done, his argument was, well, he really hadn't looked into the details. And when I saw that, it just jumped out at me because the same can be said for those that are the actual researchers whom I adore and passionately follow. People like Professor Gary Habermas at Liberty University and William Lane Craig and others that defend the resurrection. And they've staked their claims and their career on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and they lay out their historical boundaries as to why that's the case. And they go and they do debates and they print their books and they do all this stuff. And then when it comes to other miracles, and they encourage it, they say, oh, they'll literally write in some of their text. Well, people could use this same criteria to evaluate other miracles. But when it comes to the Book of Mormon, they weren't willing to fill that gap, would be Mm -hmm. my point, my argument. And so just like Hugh Hefner wasn't willing to take the step on the evidence for the historical resurrection of Christ— I would argue so many people that believe in the historical resurrection of Jesus haven't taken the step to look at the evidence that's there for the set of golden plates, for the empty hole in the ground in New York, and for the miraculous coming forth of the Book of Mormon, the greatest miracle of our era. Mm-hmm. All right. And so for some of the young people, they might not know who Hugh Hefner is, the infamous Hugh Good Hefner. for them. <laughs> Do you want to share who he is? I, I'm not an expert there. <laughs> no, he was the founder of Playboy. Playboy magazine. Yeah. yeah, it's a definitely not a church-approved magazine. We'll say it that way. <laughs> but it is a church-approved book over there. <laughs> this is it's Church of Jesus Christ approved book. So, and in fact, you you're going to be heading tomorrow to uh, BYU to hang out with the, the people there. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, it's a great opportunity. Uh, you know, through the book and through some of the research. It's opened up some doors that I, I never would have expected, to be honest, and I'm, I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. And there's a professor there. I've built relationships with a few professors over at, over at uh, Brigham Young University, and one of them is in the Religious Studies Department, Professor Casey Griffiths. Love Casey. Casey's he awesome. He is great. He does so much behind the camera and in front of the students for the welfare, the restoration, and the Book of Mormon. And I'm, I appreciate Casey a lot. Yeah. He extended an invite, and so we're going to go. We're going to talk with some of their Interfaith Forum club students and also be in the classroom a little bit and talk to faculty and share a little bit about my church, share a little bit about my book and the research. And so it's it's I appreciate I appreciate the chance. It's it's going to be a real privilege. Well, and I love it. You know, I know Casey's also spoken with um, Kyle Bashirs, Doctor yeah. Kyle Bashirs from uh, he's a he's a Baptist minister, and he's done some interfaith work at BYU as well. And uh, so I love Kyle because um, even though he's not a believer, he's very open. And and I love also what Casey's doing with this interfaith work. It seems like, especially in the LDS Church, we've been a little bit like standoffish, and we haven't done a lot of interfaith work. And I think Casey's doing a lot to to rebuild some of those relationships with Community of Christ, with your church, and, and a lot of other ones in independence as well. Well, and for us, from our background, I mean, we're just as guilty, if not more guilty, right? Because we really came from a background where 
when the church got started through William Bickerton and, and through some of that background, which, you know, I don't know if we're going to get to, into today or not. Oh, we but, will. Yeah. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. But, you know, we were very poor, very impoverished. I mean, rubbing nickels and dimes together to build church buildings and very simple, very plain terms, coal miners, loggers, farmers, that's the ground roots of us in the 1800s, right? So for, as far as our going with interfaith dialogue, now, mind you, we are an international church. We're in almost 25 countries right now. We do have 30,000 members around the world and growing. Cuba opened up a couple 30, of years 000? ago. 30,000? Oh, I didn't know it was that big. Yeah, we're we're crossing those thresholds. And, and really, in my lifetime, we've pretty much doubled every 10 years, which— so you can imagine in my lifetime wow. what size we were when I was born in the 80s then to kind of where we are today. Now, I'm not going to say we're going to double necessarily in the next 10 years, but let's go to Zion. Let's do it. So <laughs> maybe even beyond that expectation. Are you in Zion right now? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, we want to build it brick by brick. Yeah. We want a lion and a lamb, brother. We're going right. for that goal. <laughs> well, for those of you, it's probably been at least five years since I talked to Daniel Stone. And so if you want to really get a good history of, of William Bickerton specifically, who would you— one of the things that Daniel told me, in fact, the subtitle of his book was The Forgotten Prophet, because you guys don't really emphasize him very much in your church, do you? Well, we do a lot. Oh, you do? Yeah. Our, our brother, Paul Palmieri, used to preach in Isaiah and reference William Bickerton from the pulpit of our conferences. You know, so it— it it is something that, you know, William Bickerton is is paramount for us as a church. His revelation, some of his early experiences are all throughout the church oh. and taught around the world. So, you know, William Bickerton is quintessential to—and don't get me wrong, the foundation of our church is Jesus Christ. Right. He's the cornerstone. And when we go down—but historically, we're not here without William Bickerton. There's no doubt. Okay. You know, after Sidney Rigdon came to Pittsburgh, and as that organization really never took hold, his health really wasn't very strong, and he ended up moving away with family. And and this little group that's left that's holding on to the Bible and Book of Mormon, if it wasn't for William Bickerton, there there's zero chance I'm here talking to you today. Hmm. So, Well, very good, because I was under the impression—well— and I, I will say, if you really want to deep dive, see my Daniel Stone interview. But I do Absolutely. want to do kind of a little Absolutely. thumbnail sketch of of how your church started. Sure. So um, obviously, you like me, except Joseph Smith is a prophet. Yeah, and then he, of course, died in eighteen forty four. Can you talk about what happened um, between say eighteen forty four and I believe it was eighteen fifty two? Yeah, so for that to take place, can I can I take a half a step back? Sure. Because I think sometimes the importance of Rigdon in the organization in the 1830s can get lost a little bit to history. Just like you were mentioning, maybe maybe we could do more promoting a William Bickerton, which I would say yay and amen to. Okay. I would also say, you know, maybe Sidney Rigdon's relevance within the Restoration has not been recognized over time as much as it could be or should be. Right. And while we don't follow every teaching of his, there's no question his historical impact on the church. Okay. You know, if if the if Oliver Cowdery isn't going west, stopping in Kirtland, connecting with a Pratt brother who happened to know Rigdon, and all of a sudden they're handing him a Book of Mormon on their way out to, uh, at the time, what they would call Indian territory, you know, when they were going to the basically 
where the indigenous people had been pushed to at that point in Kansas and some of those states, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if they hadn't done that push and stopped in Kirtland and handed that Book of Mormon, does the church move west from New York? Does it grow from a fledgling group of faithful believers and eyewitnesses from Palmyra? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Steve Shields has actually referred to it. He thinks it should be called the Smith-Rigdon movement because of yeah. how important how Sydney impactful was. he really was. Yeah. yeah. So when when Sydney gets converted at that point, he reads the Book of Mormon through. The reading of the Book of Mormon is what he claimed converted him into the movement. He's baptized and that forever changes the face of the church. And you could argue for better or for worse, even if you wanted to, but that forever changes the face of the church. Shortly after that, the church migrates all the way to Kirtland because his congregations followed, and that's congregations plural at that point. And from so from that point on, he eventually is a counselor in the presidency, all right, right alongside Joseph Smith, right alongside Hiram, and is a leader in the church. Now his he suffers for the movement. He's tarred and feathered alongside Joseph. Joseph sees him completely knocked out before Joseph gets pretty much knocked out too mm-hmm. during that tar and feathering that goes on. Mm-hmm. And Sydney is in Liberty Jail, and it seems like he gets out of Liberty Jail because they don't think he's even going to live very long because right. of what he had suffered there. Right. So he he did a lot and endured a lot for the cause of Christ in that time, I would say. And, and in 1834... To kind of get to where you want to go here, mm-hmm. in 1834, Joseph lays hands on him. And when he does, he prays and he basically institutes the fact that if Joseph was ever absent, Sydney should lead the church. All right. And my argument lovingly and respectfully would be you don't get much more absent than dead. <laughs> um, even if you would go into the deeds of the early church properties, the names that are on the deeds are two names, Joseph and Sydney. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if Sydney realized that, but he probably could have made a claim on quite a few of the properties even after he went east. He never okay. did. He okay. never did. Um, when Joseph dies, he's the only surviving member of the presidency at right. the time. And so we follow our historical line from the angel that flew through the midst of heaven bearing the everlasting gospel, restoring the church of Christ back upon the earth. We follow that line of priesthood directly from the angel to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery, directly to Sidney Rigdon, directly to William Bickerton, uh, to who we are and where we are today. So Sidney, at the death of Joseph Smith, eventually brings a small group of believers east to Pennsylvania, where at the time he was running as vice presidential candidate, right? Yeah. That's why he was out of the state, essentially. Yeah. And hey, Joseph had called him on a mission because his home state, he is kind of from Pittsburgh area anyway. Correct. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, he was kind of, he, I think he met his wife in the Pittsburgh area. Yeah, I so, think so. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I'm trying to remember, did you, you didn't, you did, did you talk about this? The Rigdon uh, Spalding theory in your book? I can't remember. It's been so long since I read it. I just had a little bit on alternate theories right. and why some of that broke down. Yeah, I thought book. you did. So there were yeah. some pieces of that. Yeah. 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 So. So anyway, so then, of course, Sydney's in Pittsburgh running for vice president. 
the reason why is because if the president and the vice president are from the same state, you lose some electoral college votes or something. I'm not a politician, but or politics expert, but something along those lines. I love the hopeful thought that they were going to get electoral votes. <laughs> <laughs> and so Sydney was, so Joseph sent Sydney on a rigged on, on a mission to Pittsburgh right. to reestablish residency there. So that of course they would become president and vice president of the United States. Yeah. When Joseph was killed. A wild thought at the time, right? I mean, so Joseph's killed. He comes back to the church in Nauvoo which was actually, you know, an amazing thing to think about, that the church at Nauvoo almost didn't know Rigdon hardly at all. He was very ill during his time in Nauvoo, so he wasn't prominent on any stage or platform very much. And then the overwhelming majority of church converts were converts from the Quorum of Twelve Apostles from their missionary tours in England. And because of that, they did not know the church in Kirtland and the sufferings there. They didn't know the church in Far West, and, the, and not directly. I mean, right. I'm sure they heard of things, but they had not seen that prominent leader in that role because the overwhelming majority in Nauvoo is actually pretty brand new English converts. There were others as well, right, right. but the percentages weighed heavily on people that only knew the missionaries that converted them, and that would have been the 12, which is who a majority of them ended up following right. uh, through Brigham Young. And yeah. then Sydney brought a small group East. Okay. So, yeah. So they get to Nauvoo, and Sydney wanted to become the quote guardian of the church. And uh, Brigham Young came and there was that big meeting. Yeah. You can watch other interviews about that. I don't want to spend too much time there. <laughs> but essentially, Brigham Young and Sydney Rigdon got, had a big dispute over who's going to lead. Yeah. Uh, the people voted for, majority of the people voted for Brigham Young. Right. And so Brigham and Sydney kind of excommunicated each other. <laughs> Seems to be a common theme that happens a few times over the years. So. And so Sydney heads back to Pittsburgh yeah. and and starts his own church. Do you remember what the name of that church is? I I don't remember exactly. <sighs> See, because um, he actually, I think he started two different churches. The one that I remember is the Church of Jesus Christ of the Children of Zion. I believe John Hamer told me that was the second church. Could be, um, could be. John would know. John would definitely know. Yeah, but at any rate, he baptized uh, William Bickerton, and right. and William. Uh, can you talk about William, uh, Sydney's influence on William Bickerton? Well, uh, William Bickerton comes into the church, falls in love with the Book of Mormon. He was a coal miner, by the he, way. He was a coal. He's exactly. This was our mo at the time. You were either English or Italian. Okay, coming into the Western Pittsburgh area at the time, there was a lot of immigrants coming in, and he holds on to these bare-bone truths and of the simplicity of the gospel of the Bible and Book of Mormon. And early on, when they were trying to organize, you know, Rigdon wanted to build Zion. That was his desire. He was all about consecration, especially. Yeah. And that didn't happen. <laughs> it, it didn't go that way. And the group kind of just fizzled. Yeah. It really did not get a good footing. And so when you were you were essentially left with a small congregation and William Bickerton, and William Bickerton's experience was he was caught up before the Lord on the, it says on the top of the mountain, it says he didn't even have much footing anywhere. He was right. all alone on the top of the mountain. And he saw this great chasm and the Lord commanded him to go forward preaching his gospel. 
So he, it, he even says in his writings, I moved within, in the spirit of fear, in reverential fear. And he began to preach on the I, street corners. I mean, he began to preach and uphold that little congregation. And eventually, eventually, little by little, it grew. And hard to imagine. It's still around. It's still around. And I would argue in, in many places, absolutely thriving. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I will add just a little tidbit here. Apparently, he did join Brigham Young for about nine months. No, let's do this. This is great. Yeah. yeah. And so tell us about that. Yeah. So what happened was missionaries from Iowa. There was like a, you know, the primary headquarters, obviously, at that point was going on in Utah. But there was like a second headquarters in Iowa, and missionaries were coming out from there. And there was definitely an effort from Brigham Young to gather all the scattered of the restoration. That was a desire of his. They came to Pittsburgh. They met with William Bickerton, and William Bickerton asked about polygamy because he had learned through Sidney Rigdon that the Western group was practicing polygamy, and our position has always been out of Jacob II that the Book of Mormon makes it pretty clear, you know, whether you're King Noah or whether you're uh, some of the early Nephites in in Jacob, you know, chapter 2, polygamy is not what the Lord wants, that it's a sin. Okay, that's our position, mm-hmm. always has been. And the missionaries in Iowa said, no. We don't practice, we don't practice polygamy. polygamy. <laughs> and William said, if that's the case, okay. So they baptized him and the congregation, you know. And then shortly after that, I forget the exact timing, Daniel would know. 1852. You know, yeah, so the proclamation goes out, right? Shortly afterwards, the public proclamation of polygamy goes out, and our little group says, We're baptized under false pretense, again, formally excommunicating all of the West, <laughs> you know, anybody that's practicing that, and and we will never, you know, stand for polygamy. All so right, and then was, that's when they had this vision with, with the chasm. Exactly. Yeah, yep, yeah. You, you got it dead on right. Yeah, yeah. So, And so that led to, to starting— now, I'm trying to remember, it's been a while since I talked to Daniel, was it the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints when he reorganized it in 1852? Do you remember? You know, I, I'm not an expert on the titles yeah. of when. I even know some of the changes that happened in the 30s. Go watch you know, my Daniel Stone. I but, think he talks about but it. But don't quiz, you know, I, I can't ring the Jeopardy bell on on when it was <laughs> and, and exact timing. But we are incorporated today as the Church of Jesus Christ. Okay. So, yeah. And for that. us, that's straight out of Third Nephi. Okay. You know, when we read that text, the Lord tells him what we should name his church after, and that we should name the church after his name. And because we're such strong believers in the Book of Mormon, that's the impact of, of how we name our church today. I hope you enjoyed a conversation with Evangelist Josh Gailey from the Church of Jesus Christ. In our next conversation, we're going to dive more into his book, Witnessing Miracles. And we're going to talk more about, uh, he's going to take on Dan Vogel. So it's interesting to get your background because there's going to be a lot of people, uh, although you do, you did say even Dan Vogel, who doesn't believe in the Book of Mormon, admits there were some sort of plates. Correct. He does. But he, he has a different explanation than maybe you do. Yeah. So his explanation is ad hoc. And he would probably have to admit that if I'd pin him on. I'd love to actually. What do you mean by ad, ad hoc? Ad hoc would mean contrived. Okay. Okay. So there's no historical sources that hint whatsoever 
that Joseph Smith was spending his time fabricating or forging plates. That's all made up. It's MSU. It's making stuff up. Thanks for listening, and I hope you to continue to enjoy Gospel Tangents. Consider becoming a Patreon or go to gospeltangents.com shop, and you can get a cool tie, a hat, or even a nice mug. You can also get a sweatshirt. So check it out at gospeltangents.com shop. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.